popular question we get asked regularly is, how do I know if my customers are happy with our relationship? There's probably no better way to identify how to build better relationships with your clients than by using our Mindset Survey tool. The Sales Mindset Survey is a free-to-use tool that is revolutionizing the sales performance industry. This survey utilizes competing questions and the user's perceptions of themselves to identify just how well they truly perform. Are you manipulative or authentic, supplier or client-centric, complacent or proactively creative, overtly arrogant or tactfully audacious? There is no right or wrong and the survey will only be helpful as you are honest. But then why did you go one step further? We also offer a 360-degree perspective that allows you to share the survey with your peers and colleagues as well as your customers to gain even deeper understanding of how you sell. Do your customers see you in the same light of how you see yourself? Becoming a better salesperson has never been an easy task, but the journey can be made much quicker and more effective with the right tools. By focusing on those problem areas, you will join the top 10% of sales performers in the industry and make your way to the winner's circle. Why did you give the Sales Mindset Survey a go today? The results may just surprise you. The link to the survey is in the show notes. Now, on to the episode. Roderick, it's a massive um, pleasure for us to have you on the Sales Transformation podcast. Um, I think you've been referred to as the godfather of sales enablement. So I feel very humbled <laughs> to be here in your in your presence. And uh, what we normally do when we start off these sessions is we ask... Um, we, we ask uh, you to say a few words about your background and what's taken you into this uh, noble profession of sales and uh, sales enablement. First of all, thank you very much. It is my absolute honor to be a part of this. And I'm actually the one that's honored and, and humbled to be here and have an opportunity to have a great conversation. A little on the background, I'm sales guy through and through. I started as a uh, biz dev rep or the traditional BDR, SDR role out dialing for dollars, right? Did well, got promoted to um, AE, went to President's Club a couple of times, and as we do, got promoted to sales leader. But I decided to throw a chink in the armor. I actually turned it down. And my okay. sales leader thought I was absolutely nuts. And my reason was, I realized I loved the process of selling more than I did taking down big deals. So in turn, I came back with a um, counter which was, what if I could do two things for you to my sales leader? One, what if I could help people to accelerate speed to revenue and get them ramped up faster? Check that box by doing the things that I had already put in place. And secondly, what if I gave you the best present you could possibly have as a sales leader? And that is that you have to go back and ask for more budget <laughs> when you hmm. send folks off to President's Club because you've got so many people. And his response was, well, then you'd have a new job. And I said, when can I start? <laughs> and so I stepped into my first training role. And from there, absolutely loved it. Started to figure out some things that, that made a little sense and were scalable, repeatable, and applied to not only BDRs, but sales folks and solution consultants and you know, back end of client services and CSM. From there, I have been blessed to be in some incredible companies along the way, Siebel Systems, NetApp, PayPal. Oracle, Salesforce, Marketo, et cetera. And then I got to a point where 
I was having a conversation and it went very, very familiar with a lot of sales leaders. The problem we have is we don't do discovery and qualification well. My sales leader's response was throw training in. Now, we're disc- we're disc- uh, discounting too much because we can't handle objections. Throw training in. We've got a bunch of sales managers rather than sales leaders that aren't truly coaches. Guess what his answer was? Throw training in. My response, somewhat flippant, I'll be honest, Phil. My response to him was, you train animals, you enable people. We need to do a lot more than just simply training people. We've got to get them prepared. We've got to get them practicing. We've got to make sure they slip and they fall here in-house before we send them out to the real world. Then we have to constantly sharpen the sword with both leaders, net new, as well as legacy leaders, and for our legacy sellers as well. And fast forward, got to a point to where decided, you know what, I think I've done everything that I can. And I started to feel like I was an ivory tower as an enablement leader. Went out and started mm-hmm. my own consulting a few years back. And I've had the opportunity to really help some incredible companies from the smallest to some of the largest companies. And so here I sit before you. Well, that's great. It's a, it's a great story. And you've already sort of triggered uh, quite a number of questions. Um, I would very much like to come back to the kind of development you have personally received on this journey in some of those early days and what your perceptions were of their efficacy, of their efficiency, perhaps. Uh, but I'd also, you've mentioned the enablement word. Um, and maybe before we go into the first question, which I've just posed, why don't we just define for the listeners, what what do you mean by the word enablement? Because I think it means so many things to different people. When I talk to them, they think enablement is, well, training and that's about it. And other people, it's more to do with operations and data and systems. So I'd be really interested to to know what your thoughts are on the topic. Sure. First of all, great question and a great place to start. Let's level set. When I, years back, created this category that we now call, call sales enablement, it has shifted so much since then. No, at first I was thinking it was more about kind of breaking the complexity of sales into practical ideas that are scalable, repeatable, excuse me, that ultimately accelerated speed to revenue, increased seller productivity, and then created a connection between the front and the back of the house of customers for life. Since then, and and why I wrote the book is it shifts. And I start the, the book this way. If you ask 10 people what enablement is, you'll get 12 answers. And I don't think that that's necessarily a good or a bad thing. It's a good thing because the definition of enablement will depend upon where your company is in the maturation of the cycle and growth. Because I think that enablement is more of a uh, marathon versus a sprint, which is, is as I look at training. Now, what is enablement? I think it's a waterfall. If you look kind of left to right, it starts with being a part of talent acquisition and the assessment process. Yes, enablement mm-hmm. should be a part of your interview process. Next is all about onboarding. And that needs to be role specific because as we know, talking to a BDR, a, a, an AE, a sales leader, as well as back-end CSM, or even your technical folks, your solution consultants or your sales engineers, it's a different conversation. But it should be a collaborative and infused conversation so that they're speaking the same language. The next piece is business acumen. And what I mean by that is constantly sharpening that sword as your competitive landscape changes, as mergers and acquisitions happen, 
as you release new products. Each of those times, you need to not only enable and also train, because I think training is a part of it. You need to enable your people at different stages. You've got to go wide with some and inch deep in others. You've got to go deep and wide with other roles, right? The next piece is leadership coaching and reinforcement. And this is the piece that gets left out because we're so focused on the sellers, we don't really put a lot of emphasis on the coaches, i.e. the leaders. And I didn't say managers. Truly building more leaders. And that means two pieces. One, from a net new person, because what do we do? You're a rock star seller. Instantly, we're going to, as I said in my story back in the day, you get promoted to sales leader. But you've never run a, a meeting. You've never been responsible for anything but your own patch and your own responsibilities. You've never had to hire or fire. Let's make sure that there's a place in your company so that there is a migration from being a seller into a leader. And then for your legacy sellers, as we know, especially with things like AI and all of the macroeconomics that are going on today, the world is changing faster than ever before. So it's critical that we're constantly sharpening that sword for our legacy leaders as well. The next is measurements. <laughs> and I don't mean smiley sheets and butts and seats. No one cares how many people you've trained or enabled or that it's a 4.8 out of 5. That and seven bucks will get you a latte. This has to go back to revenue impacting and influencing metrics that will move the needle for the company and for sale. The final piece is around succession planning. And that is making sure as I said earlier, of moving people, first identifying your top performers for the next level, and then helping them to move to that next level, whether it be sales leadership or in another place. What if they want to go into product marketing or engineering or into enablement? Make sure that that path has a dual prong to it so that it, one, it's going to meet the needs of the business, but also it's important that it meets the needs of the employee as well. So you've covered from talent acquisition right through to succession planning and many stages in between. So what I love about the way you um, kind of talk about the topic in your book is you, you know, clearly you, you know the subject really well. You lived and breathed it. You're also a founding member, I think, of one of the very first sales enablement groups, if I'm not mistaken, uh, world, worldwide in the USA. So I want people to know that, <laughs> that you're right there, right at the very beginning. And I think the passion with which you talk about it comes, uh, you know, comes through both in the book and also in this interview that we're having right now, now Roderick. So um, what I'm interested to know a bit about, and I'd like, I'd like to come back to the book in a minute, um, and maybe we can pick out one or two subjects from the book, is that no doubt, you know, in your sales career, working for some of these amazing companies that you've done, you've been on the receiving end of sales enablement that works and maybe sales enablement that doesn't work. And, you, you know, that's helped shape your point of view on life. Um, you know, what, what for you have been some of the sort of biggest takeaways from that experience, both positive and negative? You know, for go, going back into your career before you made this switch into sales enablement, which is such a, you know, I can see it's such, such a, a sort of career-defining, life-defining sort of shift for you in leaving that sort of uh, sort of sales. Well, it's still sales, but more into that enablement world. I, I, first of all, I agree. It is still sales. 
because what you're literally selling is the ongoing experience and that journey of helping the the sellers. Um, as part of enablement, it's critical that we're actually listening and on calls. We're still out in the field, if you will, because the more ivory towered we become, the less impactful and useful we are to sales folks, mm -hmm. thus less impactful to our prospects and our customers. Now, to answer your first question, <laughs> not only have I experienced, I'm going to be completely um, vulnerable right now and say, I've even shared and rolled out some really bad enablement early on in my career. And I'll tell you okay. what made it bad. And that was the fact that I was giving sales what I thought they needed versus simply staying in the mode of a salesperson and constantly staying in the discovery and qualification piece, right? It's not enough to go out and have those conversations or those surveys or whatever they may be. You have to constantly iteratively do these things because what's happening in the world changes every day quickly. So it's important that there's a constant touching of bases, not only with sales, but also with product marketing, product management, engineering, HR. Now, this is where enablement gets has an opportunity to kind of be that hub that spokes out to every part of the organization. So going from what was bad was giving them what we thought they needed, not going back and touching bases enough, talking to only the successful rock star folks. You've got to talk to folks that are struggling as well as the rock stars because you're going to get two different sets of lenses. It's also important that you talk from top down versus just bottom up. But there has to be a point because I guarantee you where the delta and the need is going to be between the two. What I mean is sales has the strategy that they're rolling out, right? Sailors are saying, yeah, but this is what happens out in the real world. Somewhere between there's that delta and that's where enablement should fit. Now, what's working well in enablement? I think it's teaching people to have conversations instead of giving presentations. Get away from just throwing up a deck and stop trying to go with generic pieces to, I can talk to Bank of America, I can talk to a small startup, I can talk to a founder, I can talk to Quaker Oats, I can talk to Royal Bank of Scotland. Each one of them has a different need. Mm -hmm. The other piece is teaching sellers something I think that gets lost, Phil. And forever we are teaching our, our sellers to go and either find enhance or manufacture pain. It's not always about pain. I think it's it's about broadening your lenses on this. Sometimes it's about um, how do we help them to mitigate that pain? But other times it's how do we help them to increase efficiency and productivity? So it comes out of the questions and the type of questions. The third piece is, and here's a, a much needed question that gets left out oh so many times often. We always ask, we do our homework. We ask about what's going on with the company. What are the goals? What are the milestones? What are the deliverables? What are your pains? You know what gets left out, Phil? So Mr. and Mrs. Customer, how can my company help you by only working with you on how we can help you move forward? The person, the individual, mm -hmm. right? Can we help you put your name up in light? Can we help you get a promotion? Can we help you get out of the doghouse? Can we get you a bigger seat or a bigger voice at the table? By leaving out yeah. that question and asking about the individual, we're only finding out 50% of what's actually useful. And we all talk about, oh, we need to have a champion 
this person should be, we want them to be our champion. What's the best way to do it? Ask them personal questions now on how we can make them bigger, faster, and stronger. Yeah, I, I know that sales enablement covers so many different disciplines. And, you know, at the moment we're talking about, the, you know, the art of conversation and what is it that, you know, that builds personal relationships, which I 100% agree that, that so much of sales is about building uh, that relational experience. But, uh, I mean, just to share with you some of the research that we've done on the topic, um, and, and you talk about this in your book as well. You talk about, you know, the buying cycle and getting getting a buyer perspective and then working back from that. And that's exactly what my research was. And I've interviewed as part of my doctorate, um, as some, I think part of the doctorate program was something like 79 different customers from around the world about how do they want to be sold to. And uh, I asked them to share what was good practice. You know, can you give me examples of salespeople who sold to you in a brilliant way and salespeople have sold to you in a bad way? And I've also asked them the question, what percentage of salespeople actually sell to you in a way that you really want to be, you know, sold to? And I, 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 I mean, the, the data probably won't surprise you, but less than 10% of customers that I interviewed actually said that salespeople sold to them in a the way that they wanted. And when we started to unpeel the layers of the onion, uh, that you know, this, this conversation wasn't around uh, systems and data. It's, it's very much around personal approaches. And um, a lot of it's to do with um, the values that they saw salespeople have. And they're able to interpret behavior, you know, that goes beyond, you know, they look beyond the spoken word and they, they look deep inside an individual who's selling to them asking themselves questions like, can I trust you? And where did that funny question come from? Why are you asking me about pain? Coming back to your point about pain, because I've been on that training course myself, you know? So, um, I mean, the thing that, that kind of staggers me a little bit is, is that percentage figure. I mean, which I'm sure is not anything new to you and you've probably seen it through your experience as well. Um, do you have any thoughts about that? You know, why why do people have such a poor perception generally of salespeople? I, I think it really comes down to this and having a number of conversations ongoing with salespeople. And also, remember, I'm all generally their ideal client profile. So I get pitched a lot as an enablement leader. And what I've realized that turns people off is when you start trying to sell me, or you start yeah. talking about what I call bits, bytes, and bots, which are your features and benefits. And when you try and come in, as I said earlier, and you have that, you throw up that presentation versus really asking questions and having a conversation. When you make this thing so generic that it feels like you could probably leave here and walk across the street and give the same exact information that you just gave me. And, I, and I'm starting to realize the reason is because, and, and not just learning, but let's confirm, um, relationships are the backbone of success. And that is really about helping. It's not about selling. I know it's called sales, but there, I believe there's never been a time where um, leading with humanity and EQ has meant more than it does today especially what we're starting to come out of the last few years with COVID. Okay. If that thing has taught any of us anything, it's caught us two things. One, get comfortable with being uncomfortable because your mm -hmm. life can shift in a heartbeat. 
And the second piece is EQ and, and excuse me, EQ and humanity is really what moves the needle. But I'm going to put a, one above all of that. And you said it earlier, and that is understand the buyer's journey, first, mm -hmm. second, and third, because you need to understand who buys. Do they have buying seasons? Do they have buying cycles? Do they have buying committees? And the person you're working with, is this an influencer or is this a decision maker? And you treat them both equally. And that's where people change. If you're not a decision maker, I'm just going to just kind of hush you aside. No, 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 no. Um, if I've learned anything from my, my travels internationally, and that is not always does the biggest voice and vote sit at the head of the table. Sometimes they sit. No, I, yeah, I 100% uh, agree. And I know you talk about, um, you know, you, you talk about emotional intelligence in the book, in particular, as it relates to management as well, you know, and they, you know, the, the role of the, the sales manager. And I'd like to come back to some questions about coaching because you've got quite sure. strong views on, on coaching uh, as well. But yeah, I'm just interested in this concept of 3.0 because what you do in your book is you kind of chart the different stages of sales enablement over time. And, and you know, you have 1.0 and then you have 2.0 and 3.0. Could you just explain to the listener what do we mean by sales enablement 3.0, which sure, is the absolutely. title of your book? <laughs> so. It is. And, and thank you for, for the opportunity to talk about what I call my baby. Right, Your and, baby, yes. You know, I know what it's one like. Dot, I've got oh. a baby too. <laughs> <laughs> one dot. The only difference is mine actually lets me sleep through the night. So that's a, oh, <laughs> well, okay. at least most of the time. <laughs> So 1.0 was really about, let, let's go all the way back and then we'll come to today. 1.0 was, was the traveling salesman, right? Using minimal basic tools and, and, and tactics, right? Whether it was selling the old knives, selling the old encyclopedias, selling, you know, vacuums, whatever it may have been. But they were really cordoned off on, first of all, geographics of how far they could move. And also opportunity to their audience. The next at 2.0 is what I look up as the big boom was, you know, back in the early 2000s, where everything was about bigger, it was about faster, it was about efficiency, and, and, and it took off, right? Which has been wonderful, but at some point, maturation starts to slow down. And where I believe 3.0 is literally the next level, the future of sales. How are we now making things more efficient, more effective, faster, more personalized, and also scalable and repeatable by things like tools? And AI has completely changed the game, even in the mm -hmm. two years or year and a half ago. So when I wrote the book, now you can't have a conversation these days without chat GPT coming up, right? But what people <laughs> don't realize is that's just one tool, right? And we've been using AI for a while because anyone that's ever gone onto a website and someone, a bot showed up and say, hey, can I help you with anything? Little did we realize how this thing was going to go forward and the impact that it would have on our lives daily, as well as across the sales arena. Yeah, um, we've talked, we've spoken a bit about people and I'm sort of conscious of time and I want to uh, maybe move on to data at the moment because I think 
the the great thing about your book as well is the fact that you and you refer to some of the technologies and and you rightly say of course they probably moved on so quickly even since you've written the book um when you look at how technology can enable a sales force to kind of sell more effectively and and so on i think a lot of people think of systems around the word crm uh and they actually have a pretty poor opinion about crm i haven't i haven't heard any Salesforce said, like, no, I really love Salesforce. I can't wait to get onto Salesforce and fill out all those, all those forms. But, you know, it's still, you know, the foundational, of, for many companies, the source of data, you know, that they hold about pipeline and progression and so on. Um, but I think what you do in your book is you kind of, you know, start to allude to the other, you know, sets of tools that now are um, available for selling organizations. What's your view about how this technology is changing and what the impact it's going to have uh, for both the salesperson and the sales manager moving forward? As I've said earlier, there are good and bad in everything. Okay. The good, the good <laughs> is the fact that now we can scale our time, right? We can do things more efficiently. We can be much faster. We can get to the end goal of outbound <clears throat> messaging and positioning going out, right? On the enablement side, it used to take a day or so to pull together all of the data after a workshop. Now it can be done in a matter of minutes, if not hour. Right? So mm. the efficiency piece is there. The difficult part is, and the downside that I'm starting to see is that people are using this in place of EQ and IQ in some cases. And they're just putting it, let me put the prompt in and see, um, spit out a outbound message for me. Let me put in the, a prompt and see if it can spit out what I should go and say. It goes back to what I was saying. We need to make sure that we are infusing these tools. And we're using the tools no different than if it were PowerPoint, it were Word, it were Excel. It is something that actually creates efficiency and productivity. If you're using these AI tools that way, fantastic. But remember, in every piece, you must infuse your personal stories as well as your experience mm -hmm. and your tenure. If you can find for these sellers that can figure out a way to do all their research and then pull it all together and spit that out and now be able to go and have that conversation and make it feel personalized, those are the people that are not only going to be around, but are going to flourish and thrive moving forward. For those that are using this plethora of tools, mm -hmm. it's going to be difficult. Let me talk to my enablement yeah. folks for just one second, if I may. The problem is we're getting more and more tools. That does not mean, let me say this again, that does not mean that you have to use every single tool. Let's not get enamored with the net new shiny balloon out there. Figure out the tool that works for the, where your company is in the maturation cycle and what the needs are that are being asked for by your sellers. That's where we become more effective and efficient as a partner with sales. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I've got a very high level kind of slightly optimistic view of tools um, as well, which is that for many years, tools have been a, a management centric device to try and, you know, get the data and using you know that data in forecast calls. And, you know, I'm not sure that it's driven necessarily the right kind of behavior. 
Uh, and we, you know, we all know what goes on, you know, with sandbagging and, and all those other tricks of the trade that it's like a, a giant game that gets played. Um, but I do feel that some of the tools that are now emerging are more salesperson centric, you know, enabling them to maybe get research data on their customers more effectively or help manage their time more effectively. And so I'm optimistic that if, if salespeople can see value in how a tool can help them, with with I, I mean, I love the way you've connected back to being authentic as well. You know, I, I know, you know, you're slightly worried, as we all are, about, about um, you know, the use of, of ChatGPT and so on in terms of making sure that we give it our personal, uh, what's the word, our, our personal slant, if you like, in the way that we might use approaches with potential customers but i think i think the i, I you know i'm i'm quite excited about the future because i think i think there's going to be a wealth of tools that for the right minded salespeople, you know you 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 know they can they can enhance their performance and you use the word in your book about being a conductor which i love this <laughs> this sort of metaphor you a conductor and an ambassador as a, but but salespeople can also become conductors you know they yes. can decide which bits of the symphony they want to bring in to play which type of music as well. So I'm quite excited about some of these tools as well for, for the salesperson. No, I, you know, I agree 100%. And this is where I think that, that the tide has shifted to your point. It used to be all about that sales leader. Now it's how do we scale, as I said earlier, our time yeah. to make things more efficient. Now I can go deeper and wider and learn more about my prospect and my customer faster than I ever could before. And let's be honest, most customers are prepared and understand far more today than previously with sales. So most of the time, it's really about how do I go and understand what's happening with them? How do I find mm -hmm. and then be able to tie that back to some case studies of where we've been able to help folks with situations exactly, or at least close enough like them, yeah. and then come back and and to your point, be that conductor that says, give me more strings, give me more woodwinds, give me more percussion. The only difference is those instruments now are tools, right? And to your point, CRM, yeah. as well as marketing automation and intelligence tool. While they're all wonderful, and I like you, I'm excited about where we're going. I think what it's also forcing us to do, which I love seeing is, putting more emphasis on why with the tools, not just the ones. You said something earlier about Salesforce. No one gets excited about putting information in. And I think the reason is twofold. One, we've we've used this kind of as a, a whip and chain, if you will. Go put your mm -hmm. stuff in. Everything has to be in the CRM. And it should. What we've left out is the why it's going to be effective for the seller and how it's going to make them more productive and ultimately more commission and more money. The second piece is what it's forcing us to do now is those leaders to become true coaches. Because we all know the rubber meets the road with that first and second line manager. In enablement, I can give you the best programs on the planet. If the first line manager does not own the adoption, the execution, and the positive modeling of how and why to use those tools, they die on the vine. So the more that we can work with that first line manager to coach their, their sellers the more that the sellers are going to follow. Because what's the old adage, Phil? What's important to my manager is imperative to me. Mm. 
Yeah, I love the uh, the words you use here, <laughs> Roderick. Brilliant. Um, we run these annual GST, we call it Global Sales Transformation Events in London every every year. They're, they're quite prestigious. Um, we had a managing director come and talk at one of these events. And he, he came into being an MD from being in sales and, you know, passionate about, you know, the role of sales. And he was very strong in his point of view. He says he feels that sales managers should not coach. I yeah? couldn't disagree so I can see more. Your, 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 <laughs> so he couldn't disagree more. He said, it's not that I don't believe in coaching because I do believe in coaching, but I just don't think the sales manager should coach. I think it should be someone else that coaches the sales team um, because there's too much a vested interest in that relationship between the salesperson and the manager, you know, for, for the manager to be perhaps effective in the way they coach. And he was quite passionate about it. And as you can imagine, it stimulated a lot of discussion. Um, and you talk oh, about coaching and management. <laughs> so, so, so tell me what you think. How would you respond? You know, how would you respond to someone who shares that point of view? I would actually use their own words to show them okay. a, a different side of that coin. And the words that grabbed me were, because the sales leaders have such a vested interest in the relationship with their sellers. Okay. Explains to me exactly why they should be and they are the right person to be coaching. Because yeah. whether it be metaphorically, whether it be sales, whether it be athletics, sport, right? I've had coaches where I, I played American played basketball. Yeah. I had a coach that said, in order to do a left, a left hand layup, you jump off your right leg, you lift your left hand, you lift it, you let the ball roll off your middle finger. I said, Great, coach, show me how to do it. Well, the manual says if you jump off your right leg, <laughs> guess what happened to credibility for that coach? Yeah. Well, the same thing happens in sales. If you can show me where you've been down in the trenches, you've won big deals, you've handled bluebirds that have landed. You've taken down large whales and you've lost at the 13th hour. And you can show me either a how not to step in that hole or how to turn that around into a long term positive move. I am more inclined to listen to and follow you. And as I said earlier, what's important to my manager is imperative to me. So it's just like and we talked about our kids earlier briefly. The same thing happens in sales. The sellers are watching what you do and how you do it. And why you do it versus what you're doing. If you tell me something, that's one thing. Okay, but if you do the opposite, and my goal is to ultimately sit in your seat as a sales manager or a sales leader, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to do what I see you do. So if you're coaching me individually, if you are teaching me as an individual, if you are helping us to learn from our peers as well of how to and how not to, and then you're coming back around reinforcement and coaching later, guess what I'm going to do moving forward, especially the successful ones. Mm. It's, yeah, it's interesting. And I'm not defending what he said, but his response would be that the skills of coaching are so different from the, you know, the skills of selling and that very few managers, in his view, have those skills. Um, you know, as we know, quite a few managers, uh, you know, get promoted because, uh, as we said earlier, you know, they've been the top salesperson and they get promoted into being a manager. They don't necessarily have the emotional intelligence to be a great coach. Um, 
so he he what he did is separate performance from coaching what what managers are there to do is simply to manage the performance side of things and we have a couple of other people in the organization who are the coaches they're out to coach you yeah can you see that working or or not no no <laughs> absolutely not um what, what you I love your strong point of view on it. The definition of a manager, not a coach, and not, not a leader. A yeah, a manager finds a delineation between what I do and what someone else does with my team. A yeah. leader finds a way to infuse what I do and have it supported by other parts of the organization. Yeah. In an example, we go out and we say, you know what? I, I've heard seven different ways where our people are giving our um, overview of our um, offerings, right? First call pitch, we'll say. Now I go back to marketing and I say, or to product marketing and say, you know what? It happens about slide seven, right in that part. Can we either smooth that out or just pull it all together? Because it's creating confusion. I go back and I say, I've talked to 10 different customers and product management. I've heard this asked for eight times. How do we get this moved up on the release cycle? I go back to a sales leader and I say, you know what? What I'm realizing is we've done a great job of outlining our ICP, our ideal client profile. But what we've missed is our IEP, our ideal employee profile. We need a different type of seller than what we need because the folks that we're talking to, this isn't resonating because there's either A, not enough experience or B, they're still talking about features and benefits, bits, bytes, and bots. So now with out those components of the orchestration again, guess what happens? Now the manager feels like they're overwhelmed because I don't have time to drive revenue as well as coach people, as well as, as well as, as well. Mm -hmm. We're not asking you to do everything. We're actually asking you to do three things. Communicate clearly and concisely. Collaboration with the other multiple parts of the organization. So we're all rowing in the same direction because many hands creates light work. And thirdly, it's all about orchestration of understanding who owns what and making sure that you assign commitment and ownership on the back end of all of this. If you can put those three together, guess what happens if I'm a sales leader? I don't feel like I'm on an island. I'm not responsible for trying to do everything all the time. And mm -hmm. I also have an ecosystem that I can lean on and partner with. Let me say this. Sales enablement is not about being a sales scribe or sales support, or sales doormat. We are a truly seasoned partner that can help you move from A to B, bigger, faster, stronger, more efficient, and tying back, impacting revenue-focused metrics on what we do. That's brilliant. And I, I, th I think what's interesting about your experience now is that you've left sort of corporate worlds and you're sort of working across so many different organizations is, is the fact that your experience now is, you know, is, is uh, multiplied by the different types of businesses you work with. If I were, if I were an organization that needed, you know, I knew I had some problems in sales and I listened to this podcast and I thought, okay, Roderick, um, where would you start with my company? What would you do? I mean, uh, let's say I, yeah, let's say I called you. Let's say it's Consalia. Roderick, what would you do with Consalia? Well, first, it would start with an assessment. It starts with an assessment, right? 
to understand the infrastructure, understand who you're working with. Yeah. Um, I, then the next piece is, is to take that amalgamation of, of content and work to the next stage, which is designing, right? And that's kind of focused on building and incorporating customer experience into your go-to-market strategy, what it looks like today, and taking that plethora of backgrounds from others that I've worked with to help you now move things more consistently, scalably, repeatably. And then finally, the next piece is about, not even finally, next step would be implementation. Let's design how we're going to roll this out with an AB mindset that starts with crawl, walk, run, or jog, then run. Let's not try and go straight from A to B. Let's go in and figure out what works. Let's take a different, a couple of different lenses at it with an AB mentality. This worked, eh, not so well. Let's adjust that piece. The next piece is then the enablement. And that's literally about creating a culture of learning, taking all of this and making sure that everyone, as we just talked about earlier, everyone's speaking from the same book. Everyone is speaking the same direction, um, that the programs are leading to kind of the enhancement of your tools through continued, continued, excuse me, continued enablement and the development of role-specific curriculum, as we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. And then the fifth piece is about coaching. It's making sure that um, this stage of the process is focused on improving your customers, excuse me, your company's overall sales performance through effective onboarding, continuing ed, the infusion of best practices, all designed to ensure that the sellers and the leaders are effectively prepared to kind of maximize their engagements and prospects. That means practice. That means role plays. That means making sure that if people are going to slip and fall, you do it in-house first because we're far mm -hmm. more forgiving. And then putting the metrics around this piece to validate it. Yeah. Can I... Can we talk? I mean, you talk about culture in your book as well, and which I think is really interesting. And and I think that you know what you've described are the sort of mechanics of building a really effective sales enablement kind of system systems based approach to to it. Can can you talk about culture because culture is really difficult, isn't it, to change? And so many factors influence culture. You know, so. With all the good intentions in the world, you may have a CEO of the company who's got a certain mindset that makes it very difficult to, you know, spin the plates as you want them spun. So tell me about culture. Well, first of all, my definition of culture is what happens when no one is watching. It's not what you okay. put on your website. It's not what you put on your, your content. It's not what you put out publicly. It's the way that your employees and your company runs and people feel internally. It's about what will be shared with customers and prospects external of your walls. It's how they talk about your company. It's not about what you want to go and tell them. And I believe that in order for enablement to be successful in any company, it has to be woven into the fabric of the company from the top down. If enablement is not one of the top five initiatives for your C-level, group, it dies on the vine. This has to be something that feels like it's being driven down and upward based upon, again, <laughs> that small word, why. Not what we want you to do, but why and what's going to come out of it. And then it's about committing and designing and building and incorporating this into our customer experience. 
tying back to the buyer's journey as we talked about earlier. But it also needs to be a part of your overall company's go-to-market strategy in order to kind of delineate your company, excuse me, as the clear thought leader out in the market. But that's just one piece. That's the front end. You have to continually do that. And you have to go back and ask questions to people. Is this working? Why do you like this? Why do you not like this? How can we change this? And when you show that you are really focused on being a, a customer focused, excuse me, a customer focused and customer centric company, not just in what you put out in your marketing material, but what you actually stand for, it means the world. I go and look at Glassdoor at a lot of different companies. And I know it somewhat can be somewhat skewed. But when I look at the same words over and over, how I felt, how they made me feel, I feel this way because of this. It's not all about feel, and I get that. But culture has a lot to do with how people feel and thus how people then um, take and implement what they've got. And then how they constantly kind of wrap their arms around it. And I know it sounds kind of crazy in California, but how you really put that big hug around it and now go out. The best way to find out what culture is about a company is go and ask someone that's unhappy in the company. And I know that sounds odd because the happy people are going to say the wonderful things. And it's not because they're going to tell you negative about the company. And I learned this from Glassdoor. It's not because they're going to say negative things. It's because they're going to tell you the why behind things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's really interesting, and yeah, I have to. I ha- you know, we've seen a a lot of work with a lot of sales enablement initiatives that set out with good intent, but sometimes they get frustrated because uh, there are other factors that kind of make life 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 pretty difficult for them. Um, Roderick, we've got three point zero. Is there a four point zero? In the, in the making at the moment. And do you have any idea what 4.0 is going to look like? You know, it's it's interesting. I, I had this very conversation just over the weekend. When's 4.0? Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I think that I personally have probably taken it as far as it can go. And I am meeting some incredibly sharp and astute folks that are coming up in the enablement world and in space right now that I think can probably take that far further than I ever could. Will there be a 4 Oh, indeed. But I don't know that it's necessarily coming from me. Not from I, you. I, I've now, <laughs> I've groomed my baby to grow to a certain point and I think it's time to hand off now. It's kind of like sending him off to uni. It's time to, um, to sharpen the sword and give them a few more skills that I may not have or be able to give. But I, I get the feeling I'll still be a part of it in one right. way or other, but I don't know that I'll be literally dragging, excuse me, not dragging, but Hopefully not dragging, driving the bus. Yeah. yeah, no. Well, it's it's uh, yeah, it's a hell of a thing to write a book, as you know. It, it is, a baby. But I, I think what's so interesting in in our conversation is that so much of what you said, uh, you is is part of what's in the book. So the book is you. I can see that a hundred percent. You know, it's it's. It amazing. was not ghost written. It was not ghost. Chat GPT no, did I, not I write could... my book. I'll put that out there right now. <laughs> it was so. Uh, that's fantastic. Um, well, I think we're getting to the end of our session, Roderick. I don't know if there's anything that we haven't yet covered that you feel like any questions that I haven't asked you that I should have asked you. I think you've done an incredible job of covering deep and wide. And I want to thank you for the opportunity again to have this conversation. 
And to be able to share those 3.0 best practices, if you will, the only thing I would say that didn't come up was, and we talked about this and touched on it just a bit. And I want to go back to our sales leaders. Really good. And that is, what can we do to show kind of the delineation between a sales manager and a sales leader? Okay. And, And the answer to that is, and I, the way that I start every one of my one-on-ones, all of my team meetings, and conversations professionally. And it starts with a single three-part question. And before we get started, I want to know, do you want me to listen? Do you want me to coach? Or do you want me to fix? Let me say that again. Do you want me to listen, coach, or fix. Mm -hmm. And we know they're all very different things. And the problem is as leaders, we're natural fixers. We go directly and we zone in there. Mm -hmm. What happens if that's not what the individual needs? That's one reason. Mm. The other thing that that question does is it tells the person you're talking to, you tell me what set of ears to put on because this time is all about you. Yeah, no, I think that's a great, uh, that's a great, uh, great question to to pose i think it's uh yeah it's very relevant and uh, that's brilliant well roderick i think we've got to the end thank you very much thank you for so talking much. to us over here the other side of the, the, the atlantic and uh uh but i i thank you also for your efforts in raising the whole profile of sales enablement i think we're possibly a little bit behind USA on the sales enablement curve. So I think a lot of a lot of people are going to be really interested in this conversation. Um, I think if people want to reach out to you for input, they can. I think we'll make sure your contact details are in the show notes. I think Eddie will Thank you. kind of Appreciate look that. after that because I know that you do keynote talks on the topic. And I also know that you provide um, a lot of consulting advice to both large and small organizations. So I'm sure you get to be in huge demand. Thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate it. So on that note, I think we can say goodbye. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Cheers. Yeah, thank you, Roderick. Thank you.